welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on our 23rd episode. Today you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack, as always. And yeah, just want to thank you guys so much again for supporting this podcast and always tuning in each week. We really, really appreciate it. So we are going to give a bit of a rundown on what's been up for us for this last week, and then we're going to get into a bunch of awesome listener questions. So yeah, this is an exciting time of the semester because we only have about one or two weeks left because Tiara and I don't have exams for once in our lives. Hell yeah. And yeah, so typically we would usually finish around that mid to end of June and we will be graduating in mid-July. So finally finished university. Oh my God, I feel we are almost 22 and I feel like we've been in school our entire lives. So it's pretty damn surreal to almost be done. And yeah, in terms of my diet and training, so this is the going into the fourth week of my meso at the moment. To be honest, it's progressing well. However, probably not quite as good as last meso. I'm just feeling a bit run down, to be honest, which probably is partly due to study, but also I just need to go a bit easier, reduce the volume a little bit. And yeah, I think that's the main issue, to be honest. And in terms of weight, sitting comfortably at 86 kilos now and yeah, eating a lot. Hell yeah, eating a lot. What are your macros on now? So I feel like everyone has this body weight where once they reach it, they have to increase calories by quite a lot in order to increase in body weight further. So for me, that's around 85 kilos. So right now, my carbs are at 650 to 700 and fats are at 85. Protein, I leave around 250 out of preference. Definitely don't need to have protein that high. I would say usually max 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight. So I guess right now you're at a stage where your body's like, stop, I don't want to grow anymore. And you're like, too freaking bad, we're doing this. Just not as enthusiastically. Oh, what? <laughs> I bet it's pretty enthusiastic on the inside. So how's your mini cut going? Um, my mini cut is going really well. So I'm three weeks in now and I've... I'm down two kilograms, which I'm super happy about. Just feeling, yeah, I feel really energetic. My quality of sleep's really good. My training performance is still there, and I'm actually still increasing training performance, especially on lower body movements like my front squats and my hip thrusts and my leg press and RDLs. Um, upper body progress like has kind of stalled, but that's kind of a given, especially on pushing movements. When you're in a dieting phase, it is just really hard. I found to keep progressing with pushing movements, especially like overhead press. Um, but yeah, I feel damn good. And yeah, three weeks in still feeling really energetic and yeah, just a few more weeks to go and see if I can drop a few more kilograms and yeah, things are just going well. I just... Damn, this whole last week, I've just felt so happy. I felt so relaxed. I've handed in a lot of assignments early, so there's just like no stress, man. And oh man, um, my resting heart rate, like I was comparing it because my Fitbit tracks my heart rate throughout the day. And I was looking back to the very first week of semester when Jack and I had just come back from our holiday in Thailand. And, you know, you go to uni and they tell you everything that you're going to have to do for that semester and you feel really overwhelmed and I was really stressed out and my resting heart rate was like 71 beats 
per minute, which is really, really high. Um, but now it's down to like 55 beats per minute on average. So that's a 16 beat drop at resting, which has just made a world of difference. I swear, I'm just, I feel really relaxed. I feel really, really good right now. So life is going well. Life is in a good place. So I guess we will now get into the questions. So this first question comes from Tarsala and she is asking, can you please talk about activated nuts and are activated nuts really better than normal nuts? So I guess the question is, what the hell are activated nuts? Because <laughs> I'm sure you guys would have seen this in the media and you know, in the grocery store, people promoting activated nuts over your traditional nuts. So the process of activating a nut, let's say that you took some almonds, what you would do is you would soak these almonds in water and about a teaspoon of salt, anywhere between like six to 24 hours. And then after you've soaked them, what you would do is you drain away the water and then you would dry them. So you can either use a dehydrator or you can put them in the oven at around 65 degrees Celsius and you dry them again between somewhere between 12 to 24 hours. Now, the theory behind activating these nuts and soaking them and doing all this fancy shiz is that what it will do is it will apparently make the nutrients within those nuts more bioavailable. Because the reason why people think they can't exactly absorb all of the nutrients within their nuts is because nuts have a small amount of phytates in them, particularly phytic acid. Now, phytic acid has been deemed as kind of like an anti-nutrient, so phytic acid can block the absorption of things like calcium, magnesium, zinc, iron, phosphate. And by actually soaking nuts and soaking legumes in general, it will activate an enzyme called phytase, and phytase can help to break down phytates. And then if you have less phytates, the theory is that yes, you can absorb more nutrients. Now again, this is a nice theory, but for instance, nuts actually aren't even that high in phytates, and there just isn't a large body of literature or evidence to show that actually soaking nuts has a significant effect on how many minerals you will absorb from those nuts. So it's really not necessary to go through this process. Also, activated nuts are very expensive compared to normal nuts. I think they can be upwards of two times the price, and nuts already are pretty damn expensive, so I would never want to deter anyone from just consuming nuts in general. So yeah, but also some people do soak other legumes, so things like lentils and black beans and chickpeas. And this actually can be a good thing because this can remove quite a bit of the phytates in these foods. And also just soaking these really helps with digestibility. I'm sure that well, I imagine some people have been in the situation where maybe they've consumed a legume like a lentil or a black bean that is quite hard and hasn't been soaked enough and it can really, really wreak havoc on your digestive system. But also one thing I want to mention as well is that phytates really aren't necessarily bad. I think it's 
good to move away from, you know, that idea of labeling certain foods as good and bad because there's pros and cons to everything. For example, phytates, yes, in very, very large amounts, maybe they might have an influence on nutrient absorption. But phytates also have anti-inflammatory effects. They're also an antioxidant. And they can also help with just removing like carcinogens because they, sure, they bind minerals, but they can also bind carcinogens too within the digestive tract. And you remove those through feces. And they are positively associated with blood glucose control. And also they've been associated with lower incidence of bowel cancer. So phytates really aren't that bad. But I guess bottom line is you don't need to soak your nuts. Just eat normal flipping nuts. Yeah, if we had that standpoint for all of our fruits, vegetables, and grains, then we would be dehydrating everything that had phytates in it, Mm. (laughs) which doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's no need to go to that extra special level. Just eat normal food. (laughs) Okay, moving on to the next question, which is, if in a gaining phase, should you reduce calories on rest days? And like many other nutrition topics, this is very individual, depending on how many calories you burn on your training days, do you do any extra activity on your rest days, etc. But we also have to keep in mind that on the rest day, it's very important for recovery, hence the name. And yeah, so for example, if you take rest days completely off and you don't do any extra activity, then obviously your total energy expenditure for that day will be lower. But then again, there is the debate that even on training days, resistance training itself doesn't actually burn that many calories. Yeah, I think it's something like on average, you might burn 200 to 300 calories during a resistance training session. So a lot of people are under the impression that, you know, you go to the gym and you'll burn a thousand calories. But no, it's usually not that much. Mm. And yeah, so even maybe even walking to and from the gym, like say, because Tierra and I usually walk 15 minutes to and from, so that's half an hour in total, we could burn like almost as much walking to the session than the actual session theoretically. Uh So bearing that in mind, obviously on a rest day, you don't want to be increasing in weight dramatically, but you also don't want to be losing weight either. So just got to experiment to see what works for you. So I would say anywhere up to two to 300 grams increase is completely okay because that'll obviously all be glycogen, but we probably do not want to be reducing in weight significantly. So personally for me, I reduce my carbohydrates on a rest rest day by 50 grams, so 200 calories, and that's in proportion with my training day carbs. So it'll be a bit different for everyone. So I would start by keeping it the same, see how you respond, and then basically reducing it or increasing it by 25 grams, depending on how you respond. Yeah, exactly. And like Jack alluded to, it's really important to see how your body responds on rest days. And how you would do this is by tracking your data over a chronic time period and seeing how your weight fluctuates. Because I know for myself, I don't change my calories on rest days versus training days because usually on my so-called rest days, that's a day where I'll run more errands and I'm usually on my feet and I'll go grocery shopping or I'll you know take on extra PT clients or I take up an extra shift at the gym. I'm still being active and 
that two hours that I would have been working out in the gym, instead I'm filling that two hours with another form of activity that is still burning calories. So again, it's going to be very, very individual specific. <clears throat> Whereas me, on the other hand, I don't really do any additional activity on a rest day. So yet yeah, your calories <clears throat> are still so high. You're like a little furnace. Mm. <laughs> he just sits down and he's just burning up food. <laughs> so I guess this question actually ties nice into um, this next one, which was asked by Josh, which says how to determine carb amounts on high and low days. So the way I interpret this question is uh, high versus low days on a competition prep, because yeah, I don't really think many people approach the off season with high and low days. Like maybe for me, I do slightly higher carbs on leg days, but that's not necessarily for the benefit of high carbs. It's more just because I burn more energy mm -hmm. on a leg day. Yeah. Improvement season, high day every day. So on a competition prep, so there are a couple ways we can use to determine high and low days. So essentially the high days will be a guide for your carb up for your peak week. So basically what we've done with our clients so far is basically setting the higher carb numbers from what their carbs were right at the start of prep. So say if you start prep on 400 carb, then let's say we start the high versus low days 10 weeks out, then we would start those high days on 400 carb. And then on the low days, we would set the carbs to the amount that they would still be in a deficit, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so the carbohydrates are simply reflecting like a high day is essentially going to have your carbohydrates at a level where you are at maintenance calories. And then low days will be at a level where you are in a deficit. So around a 500 calorie deficit or so um, near those uh, like lower ends of prep. Near the higher ends of prep, you could probably be closer to a thousand calorie deficit because you want to be pushing harder for weight loss at the very beginning of prep compared to the end. So yeah, for example, let's say we're doing a three high days and four low days. So it could be 400 carb on the high days and as little as like 175 or 200 carb on the low days. Ouch. But yeah, that's to try and yeah get those changes and be in a deficit. So another question by Josh as well, how to determine how much is too much or too little to be gaining in an off-season slash surplus? So yeah, there are predetermined percentages that we can use here, which are pretty useful for pretty much all individuals. So the reference guide says around 0.5 to 1.5% of your body weight increase per month. So say if you're 100 kilos, that can be as little as 0.5 kilos to as much as 1.5 kilos per month increase in body weight. And yeah, there are a few other factors we can take into consideration when looking at gaining. So for example, how much is your body fat? Obviously, we can only gain muscle at a certain rate. So if you're just gaining considerable amounts of fat, that's not very productive. In some cases, it might be okay for strength or hormonal reasons like coming out of a contest prep. But if you're going from like 15 to 20% body fat, maybe that's not completely necessary to do that quickly. Mm. And a good way to track your body composition would definitely be through a combination of taking regular skin folds and also tracking your body weight, tracking your training performance as well. As your body weight is going up, are you getting stronger? 
or has your training performance stalled? And also taking progress photos too, taking waist measurements, taking various girths. So using a combination of all of those to determine whether or not this increase in weight is actually productive for you long-term for your body composition goals. Yeah, if your, if your strength is going up considerably, then that might be an incentive to go to more 1.5%. Whereas if you're yeah, not seeing those strength gains or if you have a busy time of semester, you're full on with study, can't go to the gym quite as much, then maybe it's the smaller rate of gain that might be better. Yeah. All right, so this next question is by Lawrence and he asks, your dream guests for the podcast. I think we've got quite a few. Mm. Probably Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow, that would be a dream. (laughs) Arnold on the podcast, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, I think ones that come to mind for sure, dreams would be people like Eric Helms, Mike Isretel. Um, Also would really love to have AJ Morris on the podcast, Steve Hall. We're looking to get Joey Cantlin on the podcast soon as well. Alicia Gowan, she would be incredible to interview on the podcast too. Yeah, and I'm thinking of dream people. So maybe people like Steve Cook would be cool. Oh, now now we're talking about Jack's dreams. (laughs) Yeah. Christian Guzman, woo. Yeah, Yeah, we've already had some great guests on so far and we can't wait to keep getting people on and, yeah, bringing other thoughts and different ideas to the table. So Yeah, that'll be great, especially once we're finished uni. There'll just be so much more time to have interviews. So the next question states how to know when to start a contest prep Hmm. or like, and how far out. That's a good question. So yeah, this is quite a complex question really. And when you look at starting a contest prep, there are quite a few different phases involved. So obviously the term at the moment that's used quite often is the diet before the diet. So say if you're sitting around 20% body fat, the idea of this first diet might be to bring you to around 12 to 13% body fat, and then you can have a small maintenance period or a prolonged maintenance period or even a slight surplus before getting into the proper diet. Yes, that's pretty much what I'm doing now with my mini cut. Mm. And yeah, I think this is quite a new way of thinking and contest prep guidelines are changing all the time, but this definitely does make a lot of sense rather than doing like a 40 week diet from like 25% body fat to five to six or 7%. So, and undoubtedly it is quite difficult to do on your own if you lack the knowledge and experience, which is where having a coach comes in a lot of handy because they can inform you exactly how much you need to lose, how long you'll be doing it for, what are your macros going to be, whether you'll be in a maintenance or a surplus following your mini cut and yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think also when you're about to start a prep, it's so important that you're already living the lifestyle, you know, you're already comfortable hitting your training sessions on a consistent basis five days a week and you are adherent. Also, you're comfortable with accurately tracking your nutrition and your macronutrients and paying attention to that and not making excuses for why you can't hit your numbers. I just think it's so important that you really are passionate and you already live the lifestyle so that it's not a huge shock to you once you start prep 
um, just a few weeks out, I'd say. And also just having a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with your body is absolutely integral before you start a contest prep because, yeah, honestly, it's just going to impact you very negatively in the long run if you have an unhealthy relationship with food and your body. Yeah, so if anyone is thinking of doing season A next year, like now is definitely the time to start thinking about it and choosing who you want to be for your coach and getting a plan in place of when you'll do these diets and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Seriously, in your improvement season, that's when the real gains are made and that's when you make huge changes to your physique and give yourself a really good foundation to actually start a prep. So think long-term and start further out. And, you know, Jack and I are right now taking on clients for season A next year and the seasons to come. So if you would like to get in contact, please don't hesitate to message us. We would absolutely love to help get you there and, you know, give you a head start. Mm, For sure, definitely. And we already have some clients for season A who are absolutely killing it right now. Yeah, how exciting. Okay, so moving on to another question by Daniel. How to avoid feeling sick while training from food when calories are high? This is definitely a good one for you to answer. (laughs) So yeah, I've definitely experienced this quite a lot. And I have made changes recently to mitigate this. Basically, you want to choose foods that all sit well with you whilst training, which is, yeah, honestly, easier said than done. So experiment with your types of food. So maybe a lower fiber approach prior to training. So instead of something like oats, choose something like white rice or just a more processed carb source. So like I used to have like brown pasta with chicken and even some vegetables (laughs) and before training, which would just literally just sit in my stomach for the whole session. So now I've transitioned to like wheat bix with honey and like milk and protein powder, which like goes through me a lot quicker. And I've also started eating a, quite a bit earlier prior to my training. I used to eat maybe an hour before. Now I'm eating like a minimum of two hours before. So, oh. which I find has helped quite a lot. Yeah. So I guess just higher glycemic carbs there, lower fiber, eating a further away from your training sessions and Find foods that work for you too. Yeah, just, yeah, lower volume foods as well. Sometimes if your food's really high, smoothies really come can come in handy. Or Jack's been baking these epic, like, dude, the other day he got in the car with me and he had like a tub of what he called banana bread. <laughs> it was just amazing. <laughs> mm, yeah, amazing until you have to eat it every single day (laughs) oh i'm sorry are you complaining about eating banana bread every day (laughs) we could always swap diets and see how you go (laughs) oh my gosh actually i did want to add one more point to that also you can uh experiment with fat intake as well and try and lower the fat intake prior to training because flat fat does uh slow digestion and absorption so yeah um i go a lower fatter approach i actually eat less fat before training than after training. So Yeah, and if you're trying to get in more carbs too, you know, you could always utilize drinking like a Gatorade or something during your workout just to get in more carbs and replacing that for water because you'd still be hydrating yourself but still working towards your macro targets. But again, that's if that works for you. Okay, someone asked me another question, which was, for a competitor, does fasting till five and eating all food in a small window on off days, is that a bad idea? 
So again, it depends on your goals. So if you were maximally trying to accrue muscle and recover and perform best, then no, it's probably not the best idea. However, there is a modification that you can do, which is yeah is is not still not the best, but it's not the worst either. So you could have protein feedings throughout the day um, until that window where you wanted to consume all your food. So even just one or two shakes will raise muscle protein synthesis, still promoting recovery. And then, but say you want to eat between five and six p.m. That's when you can have all your carbs, fats, and the rest of your protein as well. Yeah, I remember、um, a few years ago when Jack and I were following Matt Ogus's prep. He would actually advocate for something kind of similar to this. He'd eat a lot less during the morning and during the entire day, and just have yeah protein shakes. And then at night he would go out and would it, it's Chipotle, isn't it, Jack? He'd eat his massive salads、mm. with those Chipotle burrito things. Yeah, but bear in mind this question's on about off days, so it's not quite as bad as if it was your training day. Oh yes, I understand. Yeah, but definitely. So, for example, if you wanted, and if you didn't want to have protein shakes, you can just have other lean sources of protein throughout the day. So, in the morning, you could have some eggs or maybe some egg whites. You could have, you know, a bowl of Chobani yogurt. You could have a big can of tuna, and then get your protein in throughout the day there. And then at night, yeah, eat your food if that works best for you.、Mm. Yeah, and yeah, again, another factor is if it was off season versus on season. On season. Probably wouldn't do something like that. Whereas, yeah, you have to think about what's the most sustainable in the long term because you know, is it sustainable for you to be having a huge meal at night every single night? I'm I'm just thinking about that long term. If you can really adhere to that, and like, it, how do you feel if that pattern gets broken? Like, does it make you anxious or does it bother you at all? Um, I'm thinking about sustainability too, but again, if that is what works for you, then go for it. So this next question is asked by Naomi, and it says, "Weight loss: How to get back on track after a big night out with lots of alcohol and food."、Mm. So this is yeah, probably quite a frequent thing for. I don't know people at university. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Well, just any in general, you know, you you feel good and you hit your training sessions and you get all your meals in Monday to Friday, and then you might have a really big night out Saturday or Sunday. So, how would you bounce back from that? So, in all my experience of drinking, <laughs> you party animal. <laughs> so we actually covered this, I think, one or. Two podcasts ago, about alcohol and in terms of curing the hangover, basically there's there's a lot of myths out there. Basically, the the best thing you can do is just、um, get back on to, on top of your nutrition and your hydration.、Um, basically, your liver is your main detoxification organ, and there's nothing really you can do to speed that up. So, yeah, drinking again in the morning won't help. Like all those things, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, popping your liver detox pills from Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> But what I would say is that, okay, let's say that you've woken up on a Sunday morning and you feel like shit because you're hungover. You're pretty demotivated. What I would say first is don't set expectations from yourself too high. Like don't. Set on your training program that you're gonna go hit your hardest leg session of the week on that Sunday because it's going to be hell and you'll probably puke between sets of squats if you attempt that. <laughs> so what I would say is plan ahead on that Sunday. Either have that as 
purposely a rest day or an active recovery day. So schedule to do some light cardio on that day. Go outside for a walk in the sun. Get your heart rate up a little bit. Sweat a little bit. Stay well hydrated. And in terms of just getting back on track, just take one step at a time. Make yourself a good breakfast with a good amount of whole grains and some protein in there and some fats, you know, a big glass of water. And then just throughout the day, just take your time and make one meal at a time. And yeah, just get a little bit of exercise in there. And then by Monday, you're going to be feeling better and then ease back into your training. So perhaps you could schedule an upper body session on Monday or even Monday night when you're definitely sober again. And then on Tuesday, you can train legs again. So yeah, just ease back into it. Don't set your expectations too high and don't go crazy. Otherwise, you'll just feel awful. The last point I'll mention is that I know it can be common for people to like, after they've already eaten a lot in that night out, they then have the hangover cure breakfast, like eggs benedict or something like that. Whereas it might be, it is better just to get back on track, like Tierra said, and start on what your diet should be. So, because yeah, you could have overeaten the night before and then you go out at breakfast again and then have a massive breakfast. So Mm -hmm. yeah, just bear that in mind as well. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, live your life at the same time. Like, don't let this get you down. Just enjoy your night out with your friends and then just move on. You know, don't dwell on it. Just move on. All right, so this next question is by Mia, and it says, how to make an Excel doc to record everything? I need new ideas for what to track. So I guess what we can do is we can just tell them what we generally track, the Mm. different variables in our Excel documents. Yeah, we're we're by no means Excel gurus, but we have like put together Excel spreadsheets to track certain variables. So on one of the sheets we track, so body weight each day, um, steps each day as well, and your calories consumed each day. So that's just a general overview of like a face value to see how things are progressing. And we do try and like reinforce to everyone, all of our clients that it is important to track your weight in the morning as often as possible, just so we can get those weekly variable changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on our sheets as well, um, we've set it up so it does the math for us. So we're not just focusing on singular body weights on singular days. It will take the average body weight per week for us. It will also show us the variance in that body weight. And it also shows us the difference from their initial starting body weight, which is really good, especially if someone's starting a contest prep. It shows you how much they've lost each week from when they very first started the cut. Yeah, and on our second spreadsheet, that'll be basically what macros you've been hitting each day. So inputting like, yeah, what you've hit versus what your targets actually are. So one day you might hit more fat than the other days. One day you might hit more carbs, but basically trying to get as close to the set numbers as possible. Yeah, so we've got carbs, protein, fat. We've got fiber there. We don't track water. But yeah, we give our athletes specific targets and then we encourage them, depending on which phase they're in, for a prep, you should be within like plus or minus two grams of each um, set target macro to be as accurate as possible. I guess there is a little bit of leeway with improvement season, probably more between five to 10 grams per macro there. And then the last spreadsheet would be training. Yeah. So on training, yeah, we basically track sets, reps. Um, RPE, total reps, weight, 
like, yeah, yeah, pretty much everything we can. Yeah, and again, that Excel spreadsheet will calculate, um, it'll do the math for you and will calculate the total tonnage that you're lifting per exercise. So it calculates, you know, the sets by the reps times the weight. And then it will also tell you the total amount of weight or the total amount of volume that you've completed each workout. And then also the total amount of volume that you've completed each week. And then depending on your goals and how you're manipulating your training, that can help to guide the coach. Or if you are coaching yourself, the athlete, then how you want to manipulate your training for the following week to set yourself new targets to, in most cases, increase volume. Yep. That's about it. So I guess other things you could track in there, like if you were taking biweekly or monthly skin folds, you can put your sum of seven skin folds in there too. You could put in waist measurements. So waist measurements, glute measurements as well. There's various data that you can track. You could even track your sleep if you wanted to, total hours of sleep that you're getting per night. Mm. Even how you're feeling on a daily basis, how you respond to training, how sore you're getting. The list is endless, really. Yes, it is. But the more data, the better, you know, because what you can't measure, you can't manage. So essentially, if you have the opportunity to track whatever you can. And we have a statement, not a question, from Archie Rose saying, I just found this podcast and love it. Thanks, guys. Wow, that is a very nice statement. Thank you so much, Archie. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up this podcast. I guess we'll just end on our final question, and that is what we learned this week. So, Jack, what the heck did you learn this week? So, you hear the terms like beginner, intermediate, and advanced trainees throwing around often, but I bet if someone asked me a couple days ago, like, how do you define those terms, I wouldn't have been able to answer them, or I probably would have given a very generic answer. But Tira actually helped me learn this the other yesterday and basically gave a stronger definition as to what they are. So when we look at a beginner lifter, they might be able to progress each workout, whereas an intermediate lifter might only be able to progress every week. And then when we look at an advanced lifter, they might only be able to progress every month or mesocycle. So when we say progress, that might mean uh, progress in a weight or progress even in a rep scheme um, or something like that. So basically, um, what determines this level of experience, how easy or difficult it is to progress in a certain measure. Mm, Yeah, I think that's so awesome that we now have a definition for that. I think that's really, really helpful because I know that definitely, you know, I could probably still be classified. Well, I think I might be intermediate now, but to be honest, A year ago, even though I'd been training for quite a few years, I was probably still a beginner lifter because a year ago was really only when I started really properly tracking my training and um, manipulating various variables so that I could keep progressing each and every session, um, especially across specific movements because prior to that, my training was pretty sporadic and I wasn't following an exact an exact plan. So yeah, it really doesn't dep- matter how many years you have been training. It matters about your rate, your rate of progress. Okay. So one thing that I learned this week just quickly, which I thought was pretty cool because you'll often hear that when people lose weight, you know, they'll either lose fat mass or fat free mass, or also tied in with the word lean mass. 
Now, lean mass isn't just skeletal muscle mass, but lean mass is anything essentially that is not fat. So lean mass is also your organs. Lean mass is also your bones. Lean mass is also influenced by your hydration status. But when you hear that people lose lean mass, so for example, if you were to get a DEXA scan and it showed that you lost lean mass, it might not necessarily be skeletal muscle mass, but when you're dieting, for example, your organs actually get smaller and the smooth muscle within your intestines, it actually degrades and you lose a bit of smooth muscle around various organs. And I thought that was so interesting because I never thought about it like that. I just thought about it as fat and muscle and I never thought about what was actually inside our bodies. But it turns out that when you diet, your organs actually do slightly shrink, which I thought was pretty damn fascinating. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Obviously, that's not a health risk or anything. That's just a reality of dieting, especially if you're dieting for a chronic period. Imagine, especially your intestines, they make up a huge surface area and they probably contribute the, mo- the most to your total organ volume. And if you're eating less food over time, you just don't need as large of intestines or as thick of smooth muscle in there to actually break down food and to help with that digestive process. So it makes sense that they get a little bit smaller. Mm. Yeah, it does make sense once you actually say it out loud. Yeah, I know. When you think about it, Yeah. All right. So I guess that is the end of our 23rd episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. Really, if you enjoyed this, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week, guys.